All right. Let's try the, uh, try the mic. Yeah, that sounds good. If you have your Bible, uh, would you turn to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. If you have access to God's Word on your, on your phone, feel free to, to bring that out as well. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, starting uh, at the beginning, well, near the beginning of that chapter, around verse 4. When you came in and you received a bulletin, Hopefully you notice that on the back of the bulletin, where normally there are sermon notes, you'll see that it's completely blank. I hope that doesn't represent or symbolize my sermon this morning, though uh, it, it might. I hope that's not. That is actually a symbol of the fact that it was a very long, <laughs> overwhelming week, and, and the, the notes just were not ready by the time the bulletin was needing to be printed. And so inside your bulletin, if it did not fall out, there should be a note sheet in there that you can take a look at and follow along. It's, it's two-sided. There's some, uh, the side with the title at the top and the date. That's going to be kind of the guide for our sermon time. But, but also on the other side is some information that will help undergird what we're talking about this morning. We're in the middle of a series of messages titled, Who is God? What does it mean to understand God? But not just to understand God, but to know Him in a personal way, in a relational way, and to respond to Him in worship. There's a lot of people in the world that say they believe in God. What do we mean by God when we say we believe in God? That's what we're trying to get to the core of. And, and we're going to explore over this week and next week, how does that question relate to other major religious groups in the world that we might relate to? And as you can see from your notes, we're going to talk specifically this morning about who is God in relation to Islam, in relation to the Muslim faith. So I thought I would pick something very non-contentious and just, you know, casual for, for this morning. So this, this is a topic that you could talk about for months and months and years and years. And so to cover it in 30 minutes or so, I know, is, is a little pretentious. But what we're trying to do is just find a, a way to introduce the question and introduce the question in a way that matches God's word and says, how do we respond to this as, as Christians? If you would, uh, stand up with me right now for the reading of God's Word. You can get some of the adult wiggles out, and we can also stand in the honor of reading God's Word. We're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start up there in verse 3. Here's what God's Word says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then verse 14, every pastor and parent's favorite verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that everything we do this morning, everything we do every day of our lives is based on that foundation. God, I pray this morning as we approach the subject, as we approach these verses, God, that we would know you, that we would know you as creator, as judge, and ultimately as father. God, we thank you for your work in our world, and we thank you for your work in our lives. God, may our hearts be open to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, anytime we come to uh, an issue like this and we talk about how does Christianity relate to Islam or how does Christianity relate to another particular group, there is a bad form of evangelism that says, I'm right, you're wrong, and I would love to tell you about it. And, and that's what we're trying to, to avoid. We're, we're not coming at this this morning to say, I'm right, always knew I was right, glad to be proved that I'm right, that's the end of the story. If our response is anything this morning, we should leave here with a greater love for those who are Muslim, for a desire for them to know the hope of Christ, and moreover, for each of us to know our hope in Christ. That as a result of this morning that we would know God, that we would worship God, that we would understand what it means for him to be at work in our lives, and understand what that looks like as hope for those who do not come to the cross for salvation. What does that mean, not only for a Muslim person in the world, but what does that mean for our neighbor who worships being a good person? What does that mean for a family member who's part of another, another faith? What does it mean to come together and discuss something like this? One thing that I would always encourage you to do, and, and I try to do my best in this regard, and sometimes we just aren't able to do it, but let me encourage you, before you talk about someone, do your best to talk to someone. We want to talk to people before we talk about people. Here's what I mean by that. This last week, I had a chance to go over and spend time with some Muslim guys in Gulfport. We are right now in the middle of Ramadan. Actually, we're moving to the end of Ramadan. Ramadan is the ninth month of the Muslim lunar calendar. It's a time of particular devotion. Muslims, if they are able to health-wise, will fast from sunup to sundown, and then they will break that fast together with the iftar meal in, in the evening around 8 o'clock. And so I thought, I know this message is coming this morning. I would really love to go and sit down and talk with some guys. And so over in Gulfport, uh, I think it's broad that you turn off beach to go up to Gulfport Memorial. Uh, you turn there at that hotel and you go up off the beach about half a block or so. And there is an Islamic center there in Gulfport. So I drove by this week 
and I was torn. Lord, let there be cars there, and Lord, don't let there be cars there. I didn't know which one to pray. So uh, I, I was kind of praying both and figuring the Lord would answer however it needed to, to work out. But I, it's probably not the best way to pray, but it's, it's admittedly what I was doing. So I drove past. Sure enough, there were some cars there. I stopped, walked up. Uh, these guys who, who were there are actually from the U.K., uh, every year during Ramadan, they take off work and they go different places in the world. Last year they were in Denmark. This year they're on the American Gulf Coast. I have no idea how they ended up on the American Gulf Coast, but they are, they're everywhere between Biloxi and Baton Rouge, and they go around to these Islamic centers and they just encourage the people there in their faith. And so they invited me to, to come in and, and talk with them. Just a great opportunity to sit down with people and say, I've read about what you believe. I might think I know what you believe, but I want you to tell me what you believe and sit down. And we had an hour and a half conversation that was just, was just fascinating. I, I was reminded in that moment that if we'll take the opportunity to go and talk with people, oftentimes they are excited to talk with us, to tell us what, what they believe and, and how they see their faith relating to, to Christianity. And so had a chance to, to do that. On the back of your note sheet, you can see I've just listed some basic information um, uh, about Islam. Some of this you, you may already know. Some of it may, may be new to you. Uh, but one of the, the key ideas is that they believe that Jesus was a prophet a messenger from God. And they believe that there were anywhere from 200 prophets up to over 100,000 100, prophets over the course of history. But the key is that the prophet Muhammad was the final prophet, the final one to give a word from God. And so that kind of shapes the way that they approach their faith. At the bottom of your note sheet are some resources that you can look into. If you say, you know what, I would like to have some more information about this. I would like to check out some more information. Down at the bottom of your note sheet, there's some websites. There's even a book there that you can pick up and find some information and, and be able to track this down. Guys, do we have the video working? I know we had some problems. All right, what do you think? You want to give it a shot? Let's give it a shot. I want you to see this video about someone and their experience with going from a place of being a Muslim to being a Christian. So we're going to give this a shot. If it doesn't work, no big deal. We cried out, Allah is great. There is no God but Allah. Allah Akbar. Bound by Allah, we could never fulfill. Disappointing the God we could not know. Though we tried, we were not holy, only condemned. We cried out to Allah. But our voices echoed back. We were trapped. İslamiyette yani önceki dinimizde Allah'ı tanımakla ilgili e, pek bir şey söyleyemeyiz çünkü e, Allah'ı tanımak İslam'a göre mümkün değildir. İnsan hiçbir zaman Allah'ı tanıyamaz. Bu bir. İkinci her zaman bir korku var çünkü e, Allah her zaman ceza verir. Mutlu olmak için bir pek bir neden yok. Doğu'da Müslüman bir ülkede doğdu. Müslüman bir ülkede doğduğumuza göre biz de Müslümandık. Yani genellik bu. Eğer annem o Müslümansa sen de Müslümansın. Yaklaşık 19 yaşındayken yani sorun şu. 
babam bir arkadaşıyla sorun yaşadı ve sonra bir mahkemelere gittik. Evet, sonra mahkemede çok haksızlık gördük. Evimizi aldılar, fabrikaya el koydular. Hocalara gittik ne yapacağız diye Allah'ın Allah'tan yardım istiyoruz bunları çözmek için. Bize bu şekilde dua ederseniz, adak sunarsanız bize o şekilde yönlendirdiler. Ve biz de onları yaptık ama hiçbir sonuç yok. Mesela bir aradan sonra hiçbir sonuç alamadık yani dua ettik, yardım almaya çalıştık ama ne yardım alabildik ne de bir sonuca vardık. Umutsuz bir şekilde devam ediyorduk. O yüzden, yüzden babam da ülkeye terk etmeye karar verdi. Babam ülkeye terk ettikten sonra yaklaşık iki ay sonrası bir gün bize telefon açtı ve Hristiyan olduğunu bize söyledi. Biz de asıl çok kötü karşılık vermedik. Bir şeye inanmamaktan daha iyidir diye düşündük. Babam ülkeye terdik, terk ettikten sonra beni de çağırdı. Dedi ki sen de gel. Ama benim pasaportum yoktu. O yüzden kaçak yollarından Türkiye'yi terk etmem gerekiyordu. Sınıra yakın bir köye gittim. Orada gece bekledik. Toplam üç yer içerisinden sınırdan geçtik ve babamın bulunduğu şehre vardım. Babamın yerine gittim. Yani sonra benden sonra da Annem ve erkek kardeşim geldiler. Hepimiz bir, ar- bir yerdeyken bir gün bizi kiliseye davet ettiler. Pek sıcak bakmadım. Çünkü nasıl olsa Hristiyanlık Müslüman, Müslümanlıktan önce o yüzden o yanlışsa boş doğru olmaz. Bu süreçte annem iman etti. Erkek kardeşim de iman etti. Onlardaki değişiklik gör tanıştığımız başka Hristiyanlardaki tavır farklıydı. Müslümanlarda aynı Müslümanlarda Müslümanlardaki tavır değildi. Hatta kitabı okumaya başladım. Ama kitabın yani Hristiyanlığın sorunlarını çıkartmak için kitap okudum. O yüzden içinde hala bir merak vardı. Bir de de her zaman arıyordum. Hristiyanlık da bana günahlı olduğumu söylüyordu. Ama bunu da ben kabul etmiyorum. Ben günahlı değilim. Dua ettim. Eğer gerçekten Rab sen varsın. Eğer bu gerçekten senin sözüyse bana da göster. Kendini bana göster. Ve kendi gerçek yüzümü gördüm. O kadar iyi biri ol, olmadığımı anladım. O gün anladım ki benim bir kurtarıcı ihtiyacım var. Bu durumda, bu kötülükteyken Kendimi ben kurtaramam. Ben o kadar ağır tamam çok uzun gittim. Onun incindeki mesajıydı kurtuluş. İslamesi benim için çağırmaya gelirdi. Öldü ve üçüncü bir dirildi. Ve bir, dün, bir daha dünyaya gelecek. Kutsal kitap doğrudur ve benim için bir kurtuluş vardı. Benim tek bir şey yapmam gerekiyordu. Onu kabul etmedi. Kabul ettiğim zaman üzerimden büyük bir yük kalktı. Evet. Ve sevinç yerine geldi. Hala zor durumdaydı. Hatta daha zor, dinimizi değiştirdiğimiz için bir başka insanlar da bize kötü bakıyorlardı. Üzücü şeyler yerinde sevinç vardı içinde. Ama Hristiyan olduktan sonra bütün bunlar değişti. Ondan önce ben kendim için yaşıyordum. Ama Hristiyan olup Hristiyan olduktan sonra Rab için yaşıyorum. Kendi vatandaşlarımın beni ülkemdeki benim ülkemdeki insanların bunu bilmemesi beni üzüyor. 
Elislamlığın bendeki de- yarattığı değişiklikleri onları da vermek istiyorum. Yani o sevinç gerçek bizde vardı ve bunu Rab da bizden bunu istiyor. Başka insanlarla paylaşmamız gerekiyor. Eğer biz paylaşmıyorsak ona nasıl bu iyi haberi anlayacaklar ve duyacaklar? İsa'nın dediği gibi Rabbi bütün yüreğinle, bütün aklını, bütün canını seveceksin. Komşunu da kendin gibi seveceksin. O yüzden onları severek bu müjdeyi onlarla paylaşacağız. We cry out in praise for the gift he has given. His love resounding gloriously back. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ the law of the Spirit has set us free. That is why I go back for them, the ones who are trapped. All right, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 and begin to look at this process of what does it mean to understand the power of God's work in our life and, and how does that help us to deepen our understanding of God. If you look back in Philippians chapter 2, either in your phone or a copy of God's word in front of you, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. So Paul is dealing with a congregation here where there is some sort of disunity, some sort of attempt to to, uh, prideful living or having trouble living in unity with one another. And then he says in verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then it says who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So the first point on your notes is as we think about the relationship between Christianity and Islam, it starts with this idea of the victory of Christ, and specifically the victory of Christ that comes through the cross. Two things you would want to know about Islam up front is, number one, there is no belief at all that Jesus is God, or anything like the Trinity that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And so it's simply Allah is one, and Allah is almost so distant that it cannot be known. And so it's blasphemous to talk about God as Father, or God as Son, or God as Holy Spirit. But even beyond that, and this is probably, I would say, if you were going to have a conversation with a Muslim person and you just said, where should I start? What should I really spend my time talking with someone about? It's this idea that for Muslims, they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. That at that time that he was supposed to go to the cross and die, something happened. The most common theory, you get different theories depending on who you talk to, but the most common theory is that someone who was made to look like Jesus or someone who happened to look like Jesus was substituted in for Jesus at the last moment and that Jesus 
as a messenger from God, did not actually die for our sins. And we would say on the flip side that our only hope, in fact, the only reason that it makes any sense for us to gather here this morning is that Jesus did die for our sins. And so if you're talking with someone of another faith and they say, you know what, we basically believe the same things, you can say, well, that might be true, but we need to talk about did Jesus die on the cross for our sins or, or did he not? Because what we believe is that Jesus' victory, and, and this is so key to what it means to be a Christian, Jesus' victory did not come through evading the cross. Jesus' victory came through going to the cross for us. He was not attempting to avoid suffering, to avoid pain, to avoid the shame and the embarrassment of the cross. In fact, he was going in order to take that for us. That that was not defeat. The cross of Christ was not a mark of defeat. It was the ultimate mark of victory. And even though he was perfectly God, he became fully human in order that he could die for us so that he could take our place. I love that quote there that's on your notes from John Piper. The work of Muhammad, and we have to, we have to be respectful, and we have to be very careful at this point, but the work of Muhammad is based on being honored and the work of Christ is based on being insulted. You see the media reports. You know what happens when things, uh, when the prophet Muhammad is mocked or insulted or something shows up in print. We've seen some of those, those reactions that can come. And even for a Muslim who does not approve of those type of violent reactions, that same person, though, would not stand there and allow for the prophet to be insulted. And we say that our only hope to have life is because Jesus was insulted. Because he took on that pain. He took on that darkness. He stood in our place. He didn't need someone else to stand in his place because he was standing in our place. He was taking our sin and our pain and our death completely upon himself. And that was the path to victory. There are two dangers that can come through this passage in, in Philippians chapter 2, and these relate in some way to the, the Muslim faith. The first one, and I think I put this word at, at risk of being misunderstood, but it's called the kenosis theory. Uh, kenosis might sound like a word that is a sleeping pill, and you think that it kind of works together with a sleeping pill, but, but it really is not. K- kenosis is a Greek word that if you look back in Philippians chapter 2, at the very beginning of verse 7, the New International Version that that I'm reading from this morning, and I switched versions from time to time, but it says, made himself nothing. Now, just about every translation that you would read of the New Testament will have a different phrase there. Emptied himself, became nothing, made himself nothing. There are all these different ideas there. One of the theories, and this is what we have to be careful, one of the theories is, is that when Jesus became human, he emptied himself of his divinity, of his being God. In other words, in some way he stopped being God in order to become human. And what we have to say up front is that is absolutely not what this passage is teaching. Is that when Jesus became fully man, he remained fully God. He took on flesh, he became man, but he remained God in order to die for us, in order to take our place perfectly as the Son of God. So I think 
And I'm not telling you to mark out the words in your Bible, but if you wanted to write above at the beginning of verse 7, I think a better translation, maybe, maybe a translation that makes more sense, would be poured out. In other words, he poured himself out, taking the very nature of a servant. That idea that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's not that he stopped being God, it's that as God, he poured himself out for us. He died for us. There's another theory that, that uh, pops up, and it's a theory that's called docetism. So you know what? If nothing else happens this morning, you learn kenosis and docetism. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And if you want to show off, I wouldn't encourage you to show off. But if you, if you want to, you can tell people the new words you learned. Docetism is a theory that when Jesus came to earth, when the Son of God came to earth, he wasn't really a real person. He just looked like a person. He just appeared appeared to be a person so that when he might have suffered pain or when he might have died on the cross, he wasn't really dying on the cross as a real person. And once again, we would want to say that is exactly what this passage is not teaching. What Philippians 2 is teaching is that Jesus was fully God and he became fully man so that he would be able to suffer with us and suffer for us that he would take our place on the cross. Because at the very heart of it, Islam is a crossless religion. But hear me out on this. Before we start talking bad about Muslims for holding a crossless religion, we need to look at ourselves. And we need to look at our own idea of American Christianity. Because if we're not careful... Oftentimes, we have promoted a crossless religion, and it's called good personism. It's called, if you're just a good person, if you try your best, Jesus set a good example for us. If you love Jesus, that's good. If you went to church sometime, that's good. If you just try to be a good person, that's the main thing. And what we don't realize that point is we are doing the exact same thing that a Muslim person was doing in saying you don't really need a cross in order to be made right with God. But the message of Scripture, all the way through, beginning in the Old Testament as this this symbolism is building, but especially in the New Testament, the message of Christianity is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And so I would just encourage you, from beginning to end, realize that your life, that your Christianity, that your hope in God is based on what Jesus did through the cross. We have victory because of that. There's a quote on your, on your page there. It says, religion makes us proud of what we have done. The gospel makes us proud of what Jesus has done. Where is our foundation as people? Are we basing our life on what we have done or are we basing our lives on what Jesus has done? I want to tell you one of the most interesting things that came out of that conversation that I had with those Muslim guys earlier this week is I asked them, they were talking about the final judgment when we would all stand before Allah or stand before God. And I said, do you have confidence that you will be able to enter heaven or you will be able to enter paradise at that time. And they said, oh no, no, no one can have confidence about that. They said there, there are scales 
And, and if you've done more good things, and your good things outweigh your bad things, and, and you've repented of these bad things you've done, and you've sought to do good things, then maybe, maybe Allah might accept you, and you might be able to come into paradise. And I said, so even if you've been really, really good, you don't have confidence. And they said, oh no, no one can have confidence in what they've done. And I said, yes, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I'm not standing before God based on confidence in what I've done. Lord knows we don't want to do that. We stand before him, not on confidence of what we've done, but on confidence of what Jesus has done. That he lived perfectly and that he died fully to pay the price for our sins. And so that when I stand before God and when you stand before God and when anyone else stands before God, we stand before him confident in Jesus, not confident in ourselves. And so we have that victory through Christ. And then the second point on your notes is that we have that victory in order to glorify the Father. Look back at Philippians chapter two, starting in verse nine. After it talks about Jesus' death on a cross, in verse 9 it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting there in verse 11, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about God as Son, God the Son, we talked about that phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, the way those words were put in that order, Lord Jesus Christ. At the end, there in verse 11 where it says, every tongue confess, New International Version says, Jesus Christ is Lord. The ordering of the words in the original language is Lord Jesus Christ. It's that same phrase we talked about that sums up who Jesus is as fully God, fully man, and he gave himself for us as the Messiah, as, as the rescuer. And so what we find there is that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but then the final phrase there is it will be to the glory of God the Father. And so in other words, Jesus is exalted as Lord and we give worship to him, but the worship we give to him will ultimately bring glory to God the Father. A couple of verses that stand out in the New Testament about this, and I hope these are listed on your paper, but a couple of verses that stand out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So tomorrow, if you go to work, go to work for the glory of God. If you go and you're involved in some sort of entertainment because you're able to do that, (laughs) go and do that for the glory of God. If you are taking care of small children at home and you're just trying to survive day after day, do that to the glory of God. If you're a teenager and you're trying to find your way and say, what am I gonna do? Do that to the glory of God. Whatever we do in life, because of what Christ has done for us, we are able to live to the glory of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. We saw this a few months ago in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we come together in worship and when we live our lives during the week, We don't do that for entertainment. 
We don't do that to gain religious points. We do that in worship of the Father. Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. And let me just tell you for a second, I, I don't want to name any names because that wouldn't be fair of without talking to people ahead of time, but we have some incredible stories in our church of men and women who were living for themselves and would stand up here right now and say, I was living for myself, I was doing business for myself, I was pursuing everything I could get out of life for myself, and then I truly came to know God. And he sent me to my knees, and he showed me the hope of Christ, and now I live to glorify God. And I pray that that is the testimony that every one of us could give. There was a time I was living for myself, and now I live for the glory of God. And the only reason I'm able to do that is because of the hope and the victory that I have through Christ. And then finally, the third point. So we have victory through Christ, we live to the glory of the Father, and we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12 there. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue and then underline this phrase, circle it. If your phone lets you highlight, highlight it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There are several things going on in, in this passage, but when it says to work out your salvation, it means that coming to Christ isn't a matter of raising your hand when a preacher asks for somebody to raise their hand at the end of a service. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not even about going through a religious ritual. It's about this idea that Jesus has so transformed your life that you spend the rest of your life showing others what that looks like. To work out your salvation means that we are saved for good works, not by good works. It's not the good things you do that save you. It's that you are saved, Jesus changes your life, and then you do those good works in order to glorify God. Something that I've never recognized in this passage until this week is when I think about work out your salvation, I think about work out Owen's salvation, which it, it does mean that. But when you go back and begin to look at the text, you find out that it's not an individual idea, it's actually a corporate, plural idea that's going on here. And so work out your salvation. Paul isn't speaking to just one particular individual within the church. He is telling the church, work out your salvation. Work out what it means to be transformed by, by, by Christ. Because remember, he's talking to a group of people who are disunified. There's some infighting. There's some jealousy. There's some pride. And he's saying, if you've really come to Jesus, there's no room for that. And you need to be able to work that out. How do you do that? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. This is the reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now you might say, I have to be honest with you, Owen. That sounds like a contradiction. Because you look at verse 12 and it says, work out your salvation and verse 13 says, how are you going to do it? It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What that means is what every one of us finds out to be true in our lives. When we look at the Lord, obviously not look at it and see visibly, but when we look to the Lord and we say, 
I need you to do in me what I could never do on my own strength. Because if you are trying to live for Christ and you are trying to live to the glory of God and you are trying to work out your salvation and you try to do that on your own strength, you will become burned out and you will want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with scripture because we are trying to do something that can only truly happen when God works in us from the inside out, when he does something that only he can do. What's the result of that? Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Every mom in the world should have this on the refrigerator, okay? Philippians chapter two, verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And let me just tell you, in the world that we live in now, this will be our opportunity to witness to Muslims about the hope of Christ. When I was talking to those guys earlier this week, let me tell you what they told me. They said, as they were explaining their faith, they said, at least we take our faith seriously. I mean, that should make us wake up. At least we take our faith seriously. The way that we act, the way that we eat, the way that we dress, the things that we do. And I know, I sense, I know that immediate reaction is, yeah, but you don't know about these other Muslims over here. Well, guess what? We have groups called Westboro Baptist Church, and we don't want to be associated with them any more than a lot of Muslims want to be associated with those who are, who are radical and violent. But these Muslim guys looked at me and they said, at least we take our faith seriously, unlike those Christians who claim to believe in Jesus, but you look at their lives and there's absolutely no difference in the way that they live. And the response to that is, yes, in some sense they are, are very true, but when we have experienced the victory of Christ, and when we are living for the glory of God, and we were doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will begin to transform our lives and people will begin to ask questions. And when they begin to ask questions, we're in a position to say, this is my confidence, not in me being a good person, but in what Christ has done for me. Tomorrow night, I I told you earlier that we're in the month of Ramadan for the Muslim faith. Tomorrow night is what's called the night of power. In, in Islam. It, it goes by different names, but the most common name is the night of power. Tradition has it that, that this particular night within the month of Ramadan was the time in which uh, Allah gave a lot of the initial revelation of the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad. And, and Muslims believe that on the night of power, they are able to give more worship and more devotion and to receive more things from, from God than on any other night of the year. And so many of them won't sleep that entire night. They'll be reading the Quran, they'll be doing prayers, they'll be in times of devotion and worship. Let me encourage you, on a night like this, coming up tomorrow night, when a group of people are so seeking spiritual power and spiritual answers, could we come together and pray that they would find that hope, that they would find that power, we would say, yes, it is a night of power 
Tomorrow night is a night of power. Tonight's a night of power. Last night was a night of power. Tuesday night's a night of power. And that power comes through Jesus Christ. That he took our sin, he took our pain, he took our death, so that we are able to have complete confidence and perfect eternal life because of him. If you're here this morning, I would pray that you would leave this place with the desire to pray for those who have never experienced the cross of Christ. That might be praying for Muslims. That might be praying for your neighbor who's a good person. It might mean that you look within your own heart and realize, I don't know that confidence. I don't know that hope of Christ. I don't know what it is for God to be at work in my life. And now is the time to look and to turn to him and realize that because of Jesus, we are able to have perfect salvation. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to come back around and we're going to sing that song, Amazing Grace, again, that we sang at the beginning of the service. If I can pray for you during this time, I would love to pray for you. If you are looking for a place to be a part of a church that is seeking to proclaim the hope of Christ, we'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. However God is working in your life, this is a chance to respond to him. Let's let's pray together.